Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and we have a great show planned for you this week. Talking about the beginning week of the U.S. Open, the 2020 edition from Flushing Meadows in the bubble. And we have a special guest to break everything down, Alex Faust, the play-by-play guy for Tennis Channel, as well as the Los Angeles Kings. He talks about what it was like to get into tennis. He's been at Tennis Channel working here for a couple years now. The experience of calling matches live in Melbourne for the 2020 Australian Open, how he's adjusting to calling matches during this pandemic, what the atmosphere is like for a broadcaster with no fans, being able to pick up on certain sounds as well, and also his thoughts on an interesting 2020 Open, some storylines already developing, who's in good form, what we expect to see going forward, all that and more with broadcaster Alex Faust on the TC Live podcast. Let's start the show. And welcome to another episode of the TC Live Podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here as we are about the midway point of the U.S. Open. Got a very special guest for you today. Another member of the TC family, play-by-play voice, Alex Faust joining us on the podcast. Alex, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, it's, uh, it's an early morning. We're getting going for some more tennis on this Friday. Uh, and Alex, I know we're all excited for how the U.S. Open is going. But before we get into the specifics of it, I want to get into a little bit about your backstory. A lot of people know you as the voice of the Los Angeles Kings, especially in this city. But you've been uh, at Tennis Channel for, what, about two years now? I think it was the Miami Open 2018. Do I have that right? Yeah, actually a year earlier than that. That's funny. Uh, 2017, yeah, wow. LA, actually, yeah, it was actually before I even auditioned for the LA Kings job. I, I got kind of a live audition here at Tennis Channel. And uh, I, I remember that first tournament uh, in Miami, and it was Right, that was uh, Miami 2017. I remember hearing you call a match uh, with uh, Leif Shiras back then, and uh, I think you know now that that was a good shift. Yep, that would have been the first one. It was, 
it was uh, it was it was fun, and uh, you know what we've been doing it ever since. Uh, they they haven't kicked me out yet. <laughs> and that's funny because as you know, that's a good shift. Uh, it's not a European hour shift, so it yeah, wasn't exactly. too bad. <laughs> Uh, no, well, I, I, you know, I, I still do the overnight uh, at, at Tennis Channel. You know, yeah. sometimes we're, we're doing these tournaments that uh, you know, play starts at, at two o'clock in the morning Pacific time. Uh, you gotta love the sport if, if you're uh, if you're up that early, and not only to, to work it but also to watch it at, at home. And I know there are people who do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Alex, I know your background at Northeastern Utica, big into hockey. That was kind of where you made your bones in broadcasting. Were you a tennis fan growing up? Was that something you saw yourself one day, hopefully broadcasting as well? You know, it's funny. I, I wouldn't consider myself like a diehard tennis fan, you know, watching week after week, but I, I watched the slams. I, I watched the, the big tournaments. And uh, I, I went to the U.S. Open. Me and my family, we went to the U.S. Open every year growing up. And it was just such a fun experience. And even if you're not watching, you know, the top players, uh, the atmosphere, especially at the Open, was tremendous. And, uh, you know, you, you become hooked on it after that. I played a little bit in high school and on the club team in college. But, you know, never – I was never really a, a great player. But, uh, you know, always enjoyed the sport. And, you know, I, I set a career goal once I got into television that, you know, I'd love to call tennis one day. And uh, I've been so fortunate the opportunity at Tennis Channel not only to be able to call uh, the action here, but to be able to work grand plans. That's a lifetime goal, and uh, it, it's so much fun to be able to go to these great events that, that you grow up watching. And, uh, Alex, I know this you know past January feels like years ago, but January 2020, uh, Australian Open, you actually got to go for the first time, call that Aussie Open in person. What was it like to be there, call a Grand Slam match, rate? Uh, on oh, site? man. It, it's a dream come true, really. Um, and, you know, especially with the way the hockey season works, we don't have many gaps in our schedule. And I, uh, I saw uh, it, this year there was a, a large break in the hockey schedule right before the All-Star break, and I emailed the folks at the Tennis Channel saying, hey, you know, I don't know if this will line up or not for you guys, but uh, if it does, great. If not, no worries. And somehow uh, <laughs> we managed to support it in the hockey season. Uh, it was uh, absolutely a thrill, and you know, I, I loved. It. Now I understand why all the players, broadcasters, fans even uh, love the Australian Open so much. Melbourne is such an amazing city. Um, just the, the food culture. I'm so lucky I got to go. You know, maybe maybe there's a chance to do it in the future, but. Uh, And you got the full experience uh, of not only being there, not only calling the match, but I, I, you had the Dimitrov-Paul match, I remember, and that was uh, insane. So you got you got the full Aussie Open experience, a comeback with some rowdy fans, too. Yep, yep. Uh, they, uh, I remember the post-match interview uh, they were doing with Tommy Paul, and they said, you know, we, we've got a saying down here in Australia, G and D, guts and determination. And uh, 
they the fans really appreciate uh, you know a, a hard day's work on on court, and uh, it was such a fun environment. So now, Alex, I don't think I'm pulling back the curtain too much, but a lot of matches that you call and, and the rest of the broadcasters of Tennis Channel is from the Tennis Channel studio, uh, not actually on site. You were able to call majors on the Australian Open on site, which a lot of the major coverage is called from the venue. Due to the COVID pandemic, we're calling all the U.S. Open matches here from Culver City, our studio here. What's that been like calling matches off of a monitor? I know you've been able to do that. You've done it before, but... Has it been a transition, something to kind of get used to, having to you know exclusively call these matches, uh, the matches that are from the U.S. Open bubble, from a monitor and not actually being there? Um, it's a, you know it's a little bit weird because you know the venue so well. You know you're intimately familiar with every court and every corner of the National Tennis Center. So in that sense, you, know, you need that in-person knowledge in order to translate it to doing it off a monitor. I think for a lot of the tournaments here around that we do have monitor, we try to paint the picture as best we can. We try to, you know, especially if you haven't been to Rome or to Madrid or any of these venues as the goes on, you try to give a little bit of flavor uh, just through research. But, you know, having been there in person, I think, helps a lot. Um, so that when you're calling matches here when there are no fans, you can still give a bit of flavor for, um, for what's going on and how eerie it is without fans at the Open. I, I got to be honest, you know, tennis is probably the most comfortable sport to do without, you know, being there in person. And honestly, when, when you're at a larger tournament, when you're at a Grand Slam, even, a lot of times when you're bouncing to uh, matches on the outer courts, you're calling them off a monitor anyway from your booth. Mm-hmm. So it's not that much of a departure to do it off monitor here in person. It actually has been really good preparation for calling hockey games off monitor. Uh, which I've been able to do during the, the shutdown as well. Um, you know, working a little bit of radio for, for Westwood One during the Stanley Cup playoff. I think it's a really you know, cost-effective way of doing things to you know not have to travel to some of these far-flung locations. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, you know, there's a preference to be able to go in person, not just to see the action in front of you, but I think to have a flavor for what it's like on the ground. What are people saying at the tournament? What what's the buzz? Uh, and you really do miss that not being there in person. But otherwise, it turns to be nuts and bolts of play-by-play. It doesn't really change much. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. TC Live podcast with Alex Foss here on the Tennis Podcast Network. Uh, you bring up a good point. I was just thinking as well. Uh, calling tennis, I know you've done some baseball as well and hockey. I can't really think of many sports pace-wise that are as drastically different as that. So that really covers both <laughs> ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it, it's kind of weird when I transition seasons in September. You know, it's, I go from tennis, which for the most part is, is a play-by-play announcer, you're waiting for the moment, right? You're, you're waiting for the, the right way to capture the moment on a match point or on a dramatic moment. You're letting the crowd do a lot of the talking. You're letting your analysts do a lot of talking. And in hockey, you have to be on it the whole time. <laughs> there's there's no real uh, let-up. So uh, it, it's, it's quite a different discipline. But I think there are some similarities in the way that 
you you know you have to use the crowd uh, in normal times to mm-hmm. speak a little bit uh, as, as kind of only like a little bit of background music, right? Uh, you know, to to help you describe the action. And mentioning the crowd as we do, I mean, first off, props to everybody who put on this U.S. Open. The players of obviously who, who are here are buying in. Uh, everybody uh, associated with the event, they're making the best of it. And the tennis has been high level for the most part. But I've noticed, and I'm sure you have, calling the matches that the lack of crowds, uh, that the lack of a crowd, does take something away from the traditional experience. And in the case of some players, I'm going to reference one of the matches you called that Coco Golf match. There was that moment in the match where you're just expecting, naturally, just out of repetition, out of out of memory, like, okay, this is when the crowd would kind of uplift the American, the the rising star in tennis. And without that, there is a difference. Uh, would you agree with that? Do you think the lack of a crowd is something that we're just so not used to seeing and does make a difference maybe in some of these matches? I think it makes a difference in specific moments like the one you mentioned because I think all these professionals are are so used to the ebbs and flows within match play that they know kind of how to manage their emotions, uh, especially the ones who wind up going deep in these majors. But especially early on in the tournament, and, you know, in, in case you're referencing when you're on a stadium court and you are a player, and, and let's be honest, you know, Coco Golf is still <laughs> 16 yeah. years old and, uh, you know, going up a against a seeded player and under she's an underdog in, in some respects still um you know even though we know so much about her at, at this rate you know you would expect yes you would expect that the environment and the moment to lift her up i think there was a prime example of that at wimbledon really yeah uh, where you know, even in britain it was every single night it led the 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 postgame show on the bbc uh of you know what's this teenage phenom up to um the papers were all over it there too so i think you are missing a, a key element of it i think the one area that you know at least on the stadium court sounds the same at least they have lined people you know the cavernous environment actually gives a little bit more echo and it actually fills in the space uh honestly for me as a play-by-play announcer there's nothing worse than a, a court that has zero atmosphere that has you know no lined people yeah. that have nobody in the stands two players hitting the ball back and forth and, you know, a chair umpire, you know, who doesn't even have, let's say, a microphone in front of him calling out scores. I mean, it's really, really hard to get emotionally invested in that environment. But, um, you know, we're trying to do our best, and I think it's going to be a bit of a, you know, an adjustment period to, to do this without fans, and hopefully it's only for a short period of time that we have to work for it. Yeah, you just think of all those iconic sports moments uh, where the the broadcaster would just lay out and let the fans roar. You know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you don't have mm-hmm. have that right now, especially in tennis. Yeah, especially. Uh, we mentioned I mentioned Coco Golf, and and you could even take it a step on the other end of the spectrum. Someone like Serena Williams last night. It went a lot longer than I think it traditionally would. There was a lot of close points where, okay, you figure this is where the crowd gets into it. The opponent might falter. Wasn't so much the case last night. Um, but on the other side of that, though, Alex, you do get the added benefit, bonus, maybe maybe not always a good thing, to kind of hear the players down there for good and for bad. Has that been different, just hearing what the players are saying, talking to themselves, maybe maybe saying some things they shouldn't on television? You can hear these players breathe. In the way they've got the audio set up, uh, and, and it's it's terrific at a major to begin with. 
And the way they've got the audio set up that's really honed in on the players, you can hear them breathing. That's the thing that, that's really striking to me is after a really intense point, a long rally, you know, you see a player catching their breath, but, you know, if there's a crowd going nuts, you don't really, you don't really get to hear it. And, uh, you know, even now, let's put it this way, sometimes you have a you know, crowd going wild after a, a big point, and you have, you know, 20 seconds of applause and let the players catch their breath. Now they got to go and play the next point. Yeah. So there's a little bit uh, less of a delay in between points. Well, I mean, those are some of the nuances of it. I think it's been cool to see fellow players. And, you know, the, the best example of the first round that Andy Murray played, five setter. And you've got all these great champions, uh, peers of his, that are in these uh, luxury suites set up for, for the seated players. And they're all out there watching and enjoying it. I don't think he's ever had a circumstance like that where, you know, let's say um, a guy like Dominic Keane is watching a guy he lost to in the Australian Open final, Novak Djokovic. He's just watching the whole match. It's been fascinating to see that as a part of the Open as well. Yeah, and, and even if they were there, there might be players that can just blend in among thousands of fans, and now they're mm-hmm. just out for everybody exactly. to see. Uh, last thing on, on the atmosphere note I wanted to ask you, it's a it's a topic of intense discussion. Where do you stand, not just maybe in tennis, but other sports, on the fake crowd noise? Because they've been piping it in for some of these night matches, especially. Yeah, um, yeah I've been tinkering with it. I, I think you have to be very careful. When done right, Sounds great and actually complements, I think, the the announcers and how they call the game. I think a good example of this has been in baseball, where the, you know the murmur in the background is nice, uh, and on you know some moments if they're able to time it right, you know they can get the crescendo in the crowd to sound great. Honestly, where I, I was skeptical that it was going to work is in hockey. Uh, but they've done a phenomenal job with the soundboards in both Edmonton and Toronto in the Stanley Cup playoffs. I, I think tennis is just because you have such contrast with, uh, you know, an exciting moment and then, you know, silence right before the start of a point. I think tennis is the hardest one to do it with. They've tried, they've tinkered with it. You know, honestly, <laughs> what would make the most sense to me is uh, kind of a, a tepid. Uh, applause and reaction because as you know early round matches in Arthur Ashe Stadium uh, is sometimes not as competitive and you've got a crowd that's just you know chatting amongst themselves okay yeah. we'll, we'll applaud a little bit in between points not much going on I think that that sounds the most natural uh, but you won't be able to replicate you know let's say the other yesterday I was calling Francis Giaffo and John Millman five set match court 11 all the grounds pass holders would have rushed over there I know I would have uh, and, and I would have my app open, like, what, what's the score? Oh, this guy might be going for a yeah. there, And it would be a packed house. And they'd be going nuts. And uh, you can't replicate that. Um, so I, I'm okay with them using no crowd noise. Uh, or if they want to do it very, very little, I think it's still challenging in tennis to be able to replicate the real experience. And that's why it's such a shame that you don't have fans at the rowdiest major of the moment. Right, it's not like they're going to be able to pipe in crowd noise before a serve where you have the umpire having to tell them yeah. to quiet yeah. down. So exactly, exactly. That'd be the most realistic. Um, all right, Alex Faust, TC Live Podcast. I do want to get to what's going on currently. It's early, but we've already seen some trends and some storylines, some real fun moments develop at the U.S. Open. 
from your vantage point, from your perspective, what do you think has been the most exciting part so far of the U.S. Open? What's the storyline that's uh, really got you going so far? Well, I think uh, you're seeing some seeds fall, uh, especially day three, day four in the women's side. Not so much the men's side as of yet, but you know we're, we're seeing a lot of parity as usual in, in, in women's tests, and uh, I think that's been the most normal part of this. Really, is that uh, you know we've seen kind of a continuation of, of a theme. Uh, but the stars are rising to the occasion. Um, you know, there's only been one major upset in, in terms of uh, the draw and, and number one seed in the women's side, Carolina Pliskova, uh, getting knocked out. I think that was a shock. On, on the men's side, you know, it, Novak Djokovic has been true to form. I think in this environment, you know, we're talking about how players respond to a crowd. In this environment, I wonder if he goes up against a player like Felix Oje Aliassime who can you know, match his defense and match his athleticism and has a demeanor that is just so even feel. I, I wonder if in this environment, when you've got nobody around you to pump you up or carry you through, that you start to get more frustrated and, and you start to ask yourself, you know, not necessarily, why am I here? What am I doing? But like, really, I'm, I'm plugging it out in front of nobody. Yeah. It's, it's I could see a situation like that develop uh, against one of the, the top-seeded players at this year's Open. But I think in, in terms of the actual tennis, you, you hit a spot on right when we started. Uh, the quality has been there, and that's been the biggest surprise to me. I thought that you know, with players, especially many of them who didn't play on the, on the women's side in, in Prague or in Palermo, or whose first match back was in you know, the not Cincinnati tournament in Western Southern, I'm, I've been surprised by the quality of tennis. I think there's a fitness drop-off, no doubt, for, for some guys but, uh, and girls, but uh, I've been surprised, pleasantly surprised by the quality of tennis with the Open this year. It's really hard to know without the match play, without you know proper rest for a lot of players mm. that played Cincinnati mm-hmm. to know what we were going to see. Uh, but these are professionals. Even though rankings are protected for that two-year period, these players are still here to, to play and, and obviously to make some money. The Djokovic Felix debate, that that the the hypothetical you threw out there, I think that's a very interesting one and a fair one. I, I do wonder though, with a player like Djokovic who's unbeaten at the top of his game, and, and oddly enough, I saw this stat, he's the oldest player left in the men's draw, just thirty three years old, which is kind yeah. of hard to believe. But you know, last year he loses to to Stan, he, he retires in that match. New York, that crowd, the U.S. Open, they love an underdog. So I, I wonder if it was a situation with fans, Felix pushed him to a fifth set if that might not be better for a player like that, for a player on the rise that, you know, we even saw with Medvedev and Nadal in that fifth set where the crowd kind of, with the exception of maybe Roger Federer, the crowd really does love right. that new rising star. Yeah. They love an underdog in New York. And uh, I think, I think you make an interesting point. This, this is very interesting. Nobody knows mm-hmm. uh, because we've never encountered that before. So I'll be fascinated when we get to that point of uh, a matchup like that. I'd be fascinated to see how all players respond. It's going to be a really interesting uh, psychological study, really, for, for how these athletes deal with different conditions when the pressure is on. The uh, other storyline that I really do like, obviously, being an American, is how well some of the players on the American side, specifically the women, have played so far, with the exception of Coco Goff's loss. You've seen Serena win. You've seen Kennan rebound from a dreadful performance and since at the Western Southern Open. Sloan Stevens gets Serena next round, which I've been waiting for. 
you've even got the outside names like Madison Brangle, Shelby Rogers, and uh, Jen Brady, who's playing the best tennis of her life. So the women on the, on the American side doing well. The men doing all right. We've got Tiafoe, who you called his match. He's won. And uh, J.J. Wolf is the one I'm going to shout out, the Ohio State Ohio State player who's into the third round and uh, even rocking uh, a Blue Jackets hockey sweater and that mullet while doing it. Exactly. That's that's quite the look. Uh, big Blue Jackets fan, J.J. Wolf, Ohio State guy. This is only his second major, and I believe only his first uh, major main draw. So, impressive showing from J.J. Wolf. You mentioned Shelby Rogers. Uh, he beat Serena Williams in Lexington first tournament back, and uh, I think there was a question of whether that was uh, an anomaly, but uh, if you watch the play this summer, it's one of the exhibition events in Charleston, uh, and she was looking good, and her fitness level's great, obviously she's come back from injury over the last couple of years. Honestly, I think the draw opens up for Jen Brady, uh, especially with Pushkova out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the top half of the draw, and, and Brady has a really, really good path to quarterfinals right now, and, and I think as you said, she's playing the best tennis of her life right now. There's no reason to me to, to see any sort of hiccup for, for Brady at this rate, and uh, we could be talking about uh, a first-time major semifinalist Jen Brady, uh, you know, getting deep into a tournament if, if it all pans out, and right now it's looking pretty good. And she's a contender to win this thing at this point with the level she's playing. Yep. I mean, yep. We'll see what happens there. And I don't want to glance over that last point I made as well. Serena and Sloan, really excited for that matchup. Sloan came into the tournament with very little momentum at all. But we know she can beat the best players. And when she's locked in, she can play with anybody. So <laughs> this will be one another one where yeah. I wish fans were there. But it's going to be very exciting to see what each level looks like in well, this third-round matchup. That's a tough one because they're both fan favorites. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a popcorn match where you, just, you want to be entertained by the tennis in front of you. For Sloan, really, I, I think it's it's a matchup that's perfect for her. I think she gets up for the big ones. I think she gets up for the for the you know the big matches and and the uh, the the pressure moments where where you know she can put her stamp on a tournament. Uh, we haven't seen it in a couple of years uh, at the U.S. Open. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, was not playing all that well, and her rankings dropped outside the top thirty. Serena Williams, this is the fittest she's been mm-hmm. since. Uh, and coming back to the tour without a doubt. And I, I talked to Lindsay Davenport about this the other day. We both agree this is the best that Serena's looked uh, from a fitness standpoint. Um, and now it's about, you know, as we've been talking about, how does she manage the moment? How does she um, kind of uh, summon the Serena of old and, uh, and pick up an opponent who's, I think, uh, playing a lot better over the last week or so? Steve, and certainly hit the ball a lot better couple more things on the U.S. Open with Alex Faust here on the TC Live podcast. Uh, the men's game, which we were which we were discussing, it's best of five. I, I know everyone kind of you know overlooks that at times, but we've already seen in what four days, seven two sets to love comebacks. It just really makes you appreciate the mental uh, fortitude of some of these players. So that's one of the storylines that stood out to me: seven two sets to love comebacks and some big names in there as well, having to do it. Yep, and the. The mental fortitude, the physical part of the, the, the game. You know, Andy Murray, uh, for example, of it, you know, the guy who you could absolutely question what is he even doing out there? You know, you've accomplished, you know, so much in your career. Uh, you know, you're on a surgically repaired hip. You're playing in front of nobody at Arthur Ashe Stadium. 
you know, what are you doing out there? And you just see how much these guys uh, want it. And I think there is a, a beauty to the best of five in a major. You know, it, it's a much, much tougher test. And it takes something special to be able to win uh, a Grand Slam title. And you know, there were some who say, well, maybe we should, uh, you know, do away with it the first week of the tournament or, you know, maybe a, a, why are we even playing best of five at all? I think there's something special about it. Uh, and yeah, when you're watching some of these best of five, you're just like, okay, they're, they're dragging on. It's four and a half, five hours. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the day where we can get fans back because there is nothing like watching and being part of a uh, five setter at a major. It's special. Certainly is, uh, and I'm waiting for that day too as well. Because even it's not even just the main guys that the main guys and girls that yeah, exactly. need the fans. They're like for example, the match today, uh, Shapovalov and Fritz would be great for the fans to be the young up and comers as well. Uh, obviously, calling the match, I'm not going to ask you for calling the matches. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction of uh, champions or anything like that. But on the men's side, in the interest of uh, fairness, with Djokovic being the overwhelming favorite, undefeated in 2020. Who are some players that you think could challenge him or at least are in the best position to make a run and, and get in his way? Well, that's a really good question because if you look at his section of the draw, there are not a lot of names that, mm. that uh, strike fear in you. Um, you know, I, I think Dennis Shapovalov is playing better. Uh, certainly, this is the best I've seen him play in a while, working with uh, Mikhail Yuzmi now. He's uh, given him some good words. Stefanos Tsitsipas has looked solid this week. Um, uh, hasn't dropped a set yet, but uh, you know, we'll see how he, he goes through. Um, you know, I'm just looking down through the draw here. You know, I'm, I'm looking. Taylor Fritz played a really good match in the, in the second round. I don't know, you know, if he can get by Shapovalov. That's going to be a tough one. Um, you know, and as I look at the bottom half of the draw, I mean, who's to say Dominic Keane uh, really? I don't see anyone on that side that yeah. that is a huge threat to him, at least to get to the quarterfinals. So, I mean, it's Djokovic against the world. You knew that coming in. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, I, I would say you know there are some of these young guys right? These guys got to break through. Otherwise, we're talking about a lost generation, really, unable to break through with major titles. Dominic King is in his late twenties now. You forget that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he's come close a couple times, a couple of runner-up finishes, including earlier this year in Melbourne, but and for, for all the promise that somebody shows, you, know, you need them to uh, to break through at some point. Maybe this is the year to do it. Yeah, a guy like Team and, and Medvedev on that side, they don't have to play any yeah, member of the big... You know, they don't have to play any member of the big three till the final. Djokovic in the final, if they can get there, yeah. that's huge. Team not having to beat multiple members. Uh, Zverev is the other one. He would play Sitsipas in the quarter. What's his serve look like? How's that going to be? Uh, to get to Djokovic, we assume these guys are going to have to beat, it, it all comes back to Alex, they're going to have to beat Novak Djokovic in best of five. So they're going to have to take three sets off of yep. him. It's a tall task as is, but uh, we hope to see some yep. uh, excitement for sure. Um, Alex Faustus was fun. I actually do have one last question for you here on the TC Live podcast. Sure. Uh, what was it like when you were, I'm assuming, at home or just you know scrolling on your phone, and you see that a legendary voice of a game show of our generation, Alex Trebek, says he wants you to replace him one day. What was that moment like? <laughs> it was kind of weird, actually. Uh, very different. Welcome to L.A. moment. You never know who's watching. Uh, 
the downstairs assembling to uh, to know that somebody watches and admires your work. Uh, Alex is a big Maple Leaf fan and, and watches a lot of Kings games. So I uh, know it was fun. It was fun to hear that. Uh, I'm very very secure in my job, and uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I, obviously there were, there were so many different lines of work uh, that you, you can get into, and uh, you know, I, I'm. I'm humbled that uh, that Alex thinks that uh, I'd be competent enough to to handle. Oh, certainly cool to hear that. Hey, I mean, if this town's taught you one thing, it's to keep your options open and kind of you know maybe go into <laughs> other in, into other industries and avenues. So it's definitely a, a, a possibility. Know. Yeah. No, it's that was that was great to hear, and uh, obviously we uh, we were glad that he's coming back for at least another year. Uh, with Jeopardy. I think that was announced today. So yeah, not yet. We're not ready for you to leave sports tennis channel yet to go to Jeopardy. So just hold your horses there. <laughs> no, believe me, I love my job. I love what I do. And uh, you, you'd have to, uh, you'd have to pry me. Thanks again to uh, Alex Foss. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, catch him calling tennis channel action as well as the Los Angeles Kings uh, games next year when the season starts again, which you know, we'll be maybe reminiscing in what twenty years when uh, Quentin Byfield's a Hall of Famer. Is that what, is that what we're gonna do? <laughs> hey, if he's in the Hall of Fame, that means that we've got a couple couple more Stanley Cups here. I'll take it. Alex Faust on Tennis Channel. You can catch him calling matches during the U.S. Open, as well as some hockey NHL playoffs on Westwood One. And every episode of the TC Live podcast is on the Tennis Podcast Network. Just uh, search Tennis Channel Live podcast on all your podcast platforms and it pops up. We'll be back next week to get ready for the final of the U.S. Open. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was the TC Live podcast. Alex Foss, thanks again, and uh, we'll be listening to you. Thank you.